Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you are out this. It's a wonderful day, actually. The weather is really nice here in Arizona. So I want to welcome all of you, and I want to welcome all those online, our family online. And as you all know, livingmessiah.com is the website. There you'll find a donate button, and we thank you for all those who donate and their heart moves in that direction. It is so appreciated. We thank you very much. So let me... um. Let me open up in prayer, and then we can get into the study, okay? Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you. Father, you are unique. Father, you're merciful. You're kind. Father, you've given us commands. You give us direction. You have given us a Messiah, someone to look up to. Father, we thank you for the love and mercy that you've shown each and every one of us. And Father, be with us today as we look into those who follow after you. We thank you again. Amen. Okay, as you guys know, the, the spiel's the same. There's two mics out there. Raise your hand if you have a question or comment. They, the mics will find their way to you in one way or another. And we just ask to be, um, uh, be uh, thoughtful uh, as far as time and commenting because there might be a, something else someone else would like to say. And we're all here to learn together, so make sure we stick to uh, the main discussion of what we're talking about and what we have here. So with all that being said, as you know, we're in chapter 24, okay? So, but um, a, key, a key verse, uh, and this is hopefully how far we'll get, a key verse that I want you to be on a, oh, and a thumbs up, a key verse to look for here as uh, we're plowing through this is in Acts 26. Okay, and it states this. And now I stand and I am judged for the expectation of the promise made by Elohim to our fathers, to, to which our 12 tribes earnestly serving Elohim night and day expect to obtain. So be on the lookout. Uh, we, that's our goal to get to that verse and much, much more. So, so just real briefly, uh, we, you know, we're in the midst of Acts here. We're towards the end of Acts here. And this, uh, and I think this section a lot is the sum of the whole book. It's the firm standing that we see Paul is doing in his faith in the Messiah. Okay? That's what I think in some ways, at least one perspective, you can see all Acts is leading up to that idea. We have Paul standing firm in his faith. You know, the acts of the apostles, and also this is what we see. We see their behavior, uh, what they did, their actions in this faith, and how they thought, okay, and how, what they said. We can see that, um, I believe, when you examine much deeper and in the bigger whole, the context, of course. So last week, we left off with Paul in the hands of uh, Governor Felix in Caesarea. Okay, 
And this is going to be a real quick review, and then we're getting into uh, things that we haven't covered. And after some, uh, some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusella, who, also a female Udite, a Jew, he sent for Saul and heard him concerning the belief in Messiah. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment, and judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, from the presence, go. From my presence, go. Oh, that's a, too much for me to handle. Oh, get out of here. And when I find time, I shall send for you. And at the same time, too, he was anticipating the silver that would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years had passed, passed Portius Festus succeeded, another governor succeeded Felix, and wishing to do the Udim a favor, Felix left Shaul bound. Okay, so real quick, what we're, I believe we left off last week, you know, Paul spoke to Felix about what? He spoke to him about the trust, obedience in the Messiah, which includes righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So Felix, with that idea, he became frightened, would be my take from that. Felix heard the good news of the Messiah. And that whole good news, as we know, it's, it's, you know, it's the idea that for all man, it's laid up, it's appointed for man to die once, and after this, the judgment. You know, in the past, Elohim spoke to many, in many times and many ways to the fathers by the prophet. In these last days, he speaks to us by the Son, whom he appointed of all through whom he made all the ages, the world, the universe, eternity through the son. So Paul was brought before Festus, um, Festus, uh, Felix's successor. That's where we're at now in the story. So Festus, what a name, uh, Festus. I don't know if I could handle being called, come here, Festus, you know. <laughs> anyhow, that's, uh, I get off track sometimes when I focus on something. But anyhow, Festus, therefore, having come to the providence three days later, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And the high priest and the chief men of uh, Udim uh, informed, him against, uh, informed him against Saul, and they begged him, asking a favor against him. That is strange, a favor. Please go do us a favor. And he, um, that he would send him to Jerusalem, making a plot along the way to kill him, that being Paul. Then, indeed, Festus answered, uh, answered that Paul should be, uh, excuse me, Festus answered that Shaul or Paul should be kept at Caesarea and, at, and, that, and that he himself was about to set out shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So what we have, in some ways, just uh, what's going on, we have two years have passed, 40 men were vowed to kill Paul, okay? Now, a new governor, okay, there's a new governor here, but the high priest and the chief men of the Udim 
haven't changed their ways at all. Okay? Two years have passed. These 40 men who vowed to kill uh, Paul, obviously they got to be dead by now because two years not eating or drinking, you should be dead. But obviously that's not the case. So they're still alive. And this idea to get rid of Paul is still, still very much part of the narrative. After two years, okay, I just think, that gives us a little perspective on how the story is going here. And having spent more than 10 days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Eudim, who had come down from Jerusalem, stood about bringing many and heavy charges against Paul, which they were unable to prove. While Saul said, um, said in his own defense, neither against the Torah or the Udim, nor against the set-apart place, nor against uh, Caesar, did I, have, or did I commit any sin or wrongdoing. Or, but Festus, wishing to do the Udim a favor, answered, answered Paul and said, do you wish to go to Jerusalem and be judged before me there concerning these matters? So, obviously, you do see this politicalness that's going on here, okay? But, let's point out, neither Paul is stating, neither against the Torah of the Udim. Now, is that talking about the ten words? Sometimes, as I said before, that can be kind of vague, but it seems to hear the the law or the instructions of the Jews, so that very well could be pointing to the oral traditions and customs and uh, that nature as well there. So that being said, Paul said, I didn't do any of that, nor against the set-apart place or the temple like the Sadducees said. Remember, that's what brought them here. I didn't do any wrongdoing against the set-apart place, the temple or the temple mount or any of that. And to top it off, I did nothing against Caesar. I did nothing against the government over us. Nothing against the king of the land, so to speak, that's ruling everything. I did nothing. Okay? So basically, did I commit any sin? Did I commit any sin? So, Festus wishing to... Um, to uh, wishing to do the Udim a favor politically, that's what's going on here. Festus uh, is, is more about making the area that he is now overseeing uh, more stable. Which, why not? Okay, because he's seeing, okay, there's this religious thing going on, my position. Oh, it's a, maybe, Paul, what if I just send you down there and we can smooth over everything? Because you know, I don't want this getting any bigger because the guy be up above me, it's not going to look good if there's riots and then, up, you know, all this tension going on, right? He He's looking for peace. The Romans are, the part of it is looking for peace and making it stable, no riots. So this is the, I would say, where Festus's, um, uh being governor, his viewpoint's coming from, Okay. And Saul said, I am standing at Caesar's judgment seat, where I should be judged. To the Udim, I have done no wrong, as you know. 
well enough. You can clearly see I've done no wrong. So, you know, and I think Paul knows Festus sees that he's done no wrong. He just, Festus is trying to get out of a bind that he's in, maybe. For if indeed I do, uh, I, indeed I do wrong or have committed whatever deserving death, I, I do not refuse to die. But if there is none at all in these matters of which these men accuse me, no one is able to give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul's playing the political card too. Obviously, there's nothing here, so that comes back to your court. All right, you clearly see I've done no wrong, and I am a Roman citizen. So I appeal to the highest court that there is right now. And Festus, having talked with this council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. That's the law. To Caesar you will go. And certain days having passed, the sovereign Agrippa and Bernike, but I think it's Bernice maybe in most translation. Okay, we have the king now, a king here. Not the highest king, but another king. Okay, sovereign Agrippa and Bernice, uh came to Caesarea um, to greet Festus. Okay, Festus is the governor, and now this is the king. And Ber, uh, Bernice here is the sister of this King Agrippa, if I re- remember. And I did read there mm, was a strange relationship there too, uh, possibly, from some of my research, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly. So all this basically comes down what's being presented here, all these so-called heavy, weighty charges against Saul, they can't prove. And Festus sees this, okay? Even though he's a newcomer to this, this whole issue and problem that was given to him from the governor that he succeeded over. So it seems neither Roman or Jew, uh, Jewish law, Paul has done no offense. And I'm, I'm taking... Paul's testimony here, and it seems that's the way the story's flowing, too. How at least Festus is viewing it, you know, okay, this is what's going on. So, so uh, uh, no Roman law, no Jewish law, Paul has done no offense. And for sure, there has been no offense against Elohim's law, what was wit- written, okay? I'm saying, let's say, against the law of Moses. That was written. At least nothing deserving of death. And that's what's being being called here onto Paul. So nothing deserving of death at all. And when they had spent many days there, Festus said Saul's case, um, Festus laid Saul's case before the sovereign, saying, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Udim informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the Roman practice to give up any man to destruction before the, accusers meets the, uh, the accused meets the accusers face to face. And it, ha- and it has and has a chance to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. So 
this is the Roman law coming in here because of Paul being a Roman citizen. They, therefore, having come together without any delay, I sat, I sat on the judgment seat the next day and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge against him such as I expected. So at least from Festus's thing, it's like, oh, man, this, this prisoner, the Jews are irate at this guy, and, oh, okay, I got to get this off my table. Man, I didn't expect what's going on here. I didn't expect it seemed like there should have been something terrible here. At least I'm saying Festus, I didn't. It wasn't what I would have expected. But some, some, but, uh, excuse me, but had some questions, this was the whole gist of it, had some questions against, uh, uh, against him about their own worship and about a certain Yahshua. So you can see quite clearly Messiah, uh, Messiah's name was part of the narrative when Paul was speaking. About this Yahshua who had died, whom Saul was claiming to be alive. And being uncertain how to investigate these matters, I asked whether he wished to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. Because see, Festus, okay, this is a religious matter. Well, then, Paul, you should go down there because I don't know what's going on. I don't know your religion. I don't know. And Paul's like, nope, not at all. Not going that way. We did that direction, right? We did that a couple times, and it's not working, right? But when Saul appear, uh, uh, appealed to... Um, to be kept for the decision of Augustus, I ordered him to be kept until I sent, sent him to uh, Caesar. So the accuser stood up. They brought these charges against them, and it wasn't what he expected. About their what? About their worship? About, their, uh, about this certain Yeshua character who seems to died and resurrected because Paul's proclaiming he's alive. Ah, you know, this is that religious stuff. I, it's way beyond me, you know. But it's going to be interesting how things change. And Agrippa said to Festus, I, I was wishing also to hear, to hear the man myself. Keep that statement kind of close. And again, it's going to be my perspective here, which I think why he's interested. And he said, tomorrow you shall, you shall hear him. Therefore, on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, having come with great show, you know, and having entered the place of hearing with the commanders and the eminent men of the city, Paul was brought in, uh, brought in, in at the order of Festus. So the governor brings him in to the king. There's a big whole show. We have a, man, think about this. There's a lot of people here. So whatever Paul's going to speak about is going to be heard by even more people than, do you think that's an Elohim thing here? Yeah. Do you think Elohim orchestrated this, that a message is going to even be heard to more people that prominent people of the city the big wig, the big shots, right, are going to hear something here. And I might add again, Agrippa ah, wants 
personally wants to hear something about this. Did he hear about this Yeshua guy before? We'll find out. And Festus said, Sovereign Agrippa and all the men present here with us, you see this one about whom all the community of the Udine plead, uh, plead with me, both in Jerusalem and here. Same message. Shouting that he ought not live any longer. Believing they want to kill him down there, they want to kill him up here. Their message have not changed. King Agrippa. That's why we're here. Now, I want to point out something here that I think is very important, or at least I view it as for it. Uh, Festus is saying, you see here is about whom all the community. I think that can be kind of misleading, and I'll tell you why. That word uh, community there in the Greek, it's actually, I think it would be better multitude, being translated multitude, because when it says community, it seems to be every single Jew in Jerusalem and everywhere. I think it's really specific to that group that came up, okay, as a multitude. And why I say that um, is if you look at that word, multitude, it's a great number of men or things. So to make it community here, I, I disagree with that. I think it's throwing off the story, especially, and I'll give you an example. Uh, to prove my prove my thought process here. Mark 3, 7, and you guys are quite aware of this. But Yeshua withdrew from his taught ones to the sea, and a great crowd, that's the word, a great crowd from Galilee followed him and from Judah. It didn't say a great community. So that's my reasoning here, unless there's something in the Greek that I don't, understand which I raised my hand said I don't completely get this other language but the way this word's being used and obviously when Messiah had a multitude it wasn't every single people it was a large group of people okay you see how that can be like misunderstood that uh, I, that's why I wanted to mention that to you so we'll continue on here but I having found that he had committed none of these deserving of death, and that he himself had appeared to Augustus. And that would be, I think, another word for uh, the, the, the higher king. I decide, or Caesar, I decided to send him. I have uh, no, de uh, no definite matter to write to my master concerning him. So he's telling, the, the governor's telling the king Agrippa, I really I don't, I don't have anything to write to you Why he's here, basically, maybe. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and most of all before you, Sovereign Agrippa, uh, uh, before you, Sovereign Agrippa, so that after the examination had taken place, I might have somewhat to write. So if I'm going to send him to Caesar, King, can you give me something when I send him to Caesar? Because I don't want to send him to Caesar because I really don't have anything on this guy. I don't understand the whole situation. And that's not going to be good, right? For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to signify the charges against him. He can't figure it out. So maybe King Agrippa, can you figure this out for me? Can you figure out these charges? Or what if and when or what? 
we should charge this man with. And Agrippa said to Paul, you are allowed to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hands. You can see the, you know, I like to try to visualize dramaticness that maybe he's there. Paul stretched out his hands and, and made his defense. I, I thank myself, blessed sovereign Agrippa, because today I shall make my defense before you concerning all of which I am accused of by the Eudeme. You being most of all an expert, knowing all the practices and the questions which have to do with the Eudeme. So please hear me patiently. That's the kicker. Remember I said he, King Agrippa said, you know, I, I kind of want to hear this guy. Now that he's here, I've heard of some, this Yeshua, and now we got this Paul. Oh, yeah, I want to hear about that. Now, and you see verse 3 is an interesting, and why that is interesting that I found out. Festus, the governor, knows little about Jewish religion and the culture. He just wants a good relationship with the locals who he's ruling over. On the other hand, you have a King Agrippa here. There are two kings with the name Agrippa. Hopefully I got this correct, and I believe I do. This one here in the story, he is Agrippa II, okay? King Agrippa II. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, okay? So this family's uh, Herod's family, let's say, this family has been in the region a very long time. They had a very good understanding of the religion of the Jews at that time, for sure. They knew, uh, they, they knew Jewish culture and the practices, although Herod, King Herod the Great, right, his family are ethnically mixed here uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and the mixture is Edomite and Nebatine, which would be Arabian. So it's Edomite and Arabian mixed here. But the key part is they have a good understanding of, uh, for a lack of better words, the Judaism, the religion there in Jerusalem surrounding the temple. Okay? So here's the picture uh, that might help. Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great, his son was then King Agrippa I, right? The first Agrippa. He ruled Judea and Samaria. Agrippa was, uh, Agrippa I is then uh, King Herod. He's the King Herod that killed James and imprisoned Peter. Okay? That would then, we read that in Acts, I know it might have been a year or so ago, back in Act 12. Agrippa I, when he was in Caesarea, he addressed a crowd from his throne right after he put Peter in prison and Peter got out of prison by the messenger, directed him out. Okay, remember that kind of story? Well, that's where it was this uh, Agrippa I who put Peter in prison. But, 
it specifically mentions when he I, I I think it was in it was in Caesarea whatever he was doing being king or or something like that uh, the people were shouting to him the voice of God okay and not of man and King Agrippa won like yeah bring it on guys right and you'll see that in the story but the sad thing, Agrippa I accepted that praise, and immediately it says, and a messenger of Yahweh struck him down because he did not give Elohim the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his laugh. That is Acts 12.23. Now, I think that's kind of interesting because we do, like I, I'm looking at, he was aware of the God of Israel somewhere along the line more so than any other. So, I don't know. Was there a little bit more responsibility because he knew? I don't know. Either way, the messenger cut him down. So, the son of Agrippa, the first Agrippa one, the one that was just cut down, uh, his name is King Herod Agrippa II. That's now in the story here. That's the king, that's the Agrippa that we're talking about. He was, uh, and like I said, his sister is Bernice here. So Agrippa II, here in this story, had a quite a lot of a power uh, in Jewish religion and, and the affairs. That's always been that way. He's, he's at this point, being this king, he was giving uh, guardship over the temple and the authority to appoint high priest. So the authority to appoint high priest wasn't coming from within, it was coming from without. Okay? So a quick thing, Herod the Great, he was around the birth of uh, uh, when Messiah was born. Agrippa I, around Peter's time. Agrippa II, which we have here, is Paul. So Herod the Great, one, two. Okay? So that's what's going on. So that's why I believe this is why Paul says to Agrippa here, this being that grandson of Herod the Great, you being most of all an expert knowing the practices and the questions which have to do with the Udeen. Paul knew this. You know quite well, Paul, what I'm about to talk. I know Festus has no clue, but you do. And we, to me, I think that's what, when he says, oh, I'd like to hear this guy because he had an interest. He's familiar with what was going on. I just, to me, that opens up the story a little bit more of what's going on here. And we'll get to see Agrippa listen to the same message. Truly men, all the you deem know, uh, truly then, he's telling Agrippa, you know all this stuff. So all the, me, all the you deem know my way of life from my youth, which I led from the beginning among, among my own nation at, at Jerusalem. Since they have known me from the first, if they wish 
to witness that I live. If they wish, if, if you want to bring them up, bring them up and have them witness and have them witness to this. I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our observance. I, n- I now stand and am judged for the expectation of the promise made by Elohim to our father, to which our 12 tribes earnestly serving Elohim night and day expect to obtain. Concerning this hope, this expectation, sovereign Agrippa, I'm being accused by the UD, those who are here right now, including the high priest, and probably most of the Sanhedrin. Expectation of the promise made by Elohim to our fathers. So I would like to say yes. And I see in this our 12 tribes by serving. By our 12 tribes, by obeying his commandment, expect to obtain this prompt. I'm adding that in there. Because if you're serving the most God, most high God, you should be obeying the commandment to obtain the promise that was given. That's my personal ad- adding in that phrase. Concerning this expectation, this hope that we've had as a people. Why is it considered unbelievable among you if Elohim raises the dead, including King Agrippa? You know a little bit maybe about the and you too, all of you, my brothers. Is it why is it so far fetched and unbelievable that Elohim can raise some from the dead. You specifically, most of you being Pharisees, you know, versus our brothers Sadducees who don't believe in any of that, that there is hope in a resurrection of the dead, an expectation. Therefore, indeed, I thought with, excuse me, I thought within myself that I ought to do much against the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. Which also I did in Jerusalem, and I shut up many of the set-apart ones in prison. Interesting, he's saying, not infidels. He's saying, I went out and... Because I think his mind's saying they were set apart. And I went out and got set-apart ones and put them in prison. At the time that he was on that journey, I think it was more, I'm going to get these infidels or or whatever. Again, that's my added comment there. So, but he goes on and listen to this conviction. You know, it was putting me in prison and having received authority from the chief priests, they're standing there right now, maybe not the exact same ones, maybe or maybe not. And when they were... um, And when they were put to death, I gave my vote against them and punished them often in all the congregations and the assemblies, wherever they were getting, uh, coming together. I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to 
foreign city, even outside of Jerusalem, because that's where he was headed, outside of Jerusalem. It wasn't enough for Paul, just for those in his hometown, hey, i got to get out of here and get those, all those other people are my problem too, maybe. While thus enraged, I was journeying to Damascus with authority. He was given authority to do this and commission from the chief priest at midday along the highway of Sovereign Agrippa. I saw a light, because Sovereign Agrippa, you understand the ins and outs of Judaism. I saw the light from heaven, from the heavens, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he ha- uh, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew tongue, Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the prod. And I said, who are you, master? And he said, I am Yahshua, whom you persecuted. So, a little rundown here. Paul thought he was right until he encountered the Messiah. He thought he was on Elohim's side until he ran into the son of Elohim. Till he ran into the Messiah and things changed when you hit the Messiah. All of you are testimony of that. It's when you come to faith the Messiah, I hope you started stealing and all these other things. When you come in contact with the Messiah, your life changes. So Yeshua makes a statement here. It's kind of interesting. It is hard for you to kick against the pot. So I looked into that myself, and I will give you my viewpoint on on that and how I'm understanding it or how I believe it could be applied. Basically, he's saying, you're kicking against me, Paul. You're kicking against the Messiah, the Son of Man. It's going to be a hard journey for you if you continue kicking against the Messiah. The voice spoke that. Paul was blinded. Isn't that interesting? Paul was blinding. So was Paul blinded to what Elohim is doing? Paul was out of the will of Elohim with what he was doing and the manner he was doing. For God's sakes, he was out killing people, delivering them up in the name of the God of Israel. So Paul was out of the will of Elohim. That would be our normal, our our lingo that we would have today. Messiah used that lingo too, being in his will. Delivering up people because of what? Because of him, the Messiah. And as we all know, friends, family are divided because of who? Who the Messiah is, who he stands for. Matthew 10, 22. And you shall be hated by all for my name's sake, for my character, who I am, who I am, 
but he who shall have endured to the end shall be delivered, saved. That's Matthew 10, 22, if I didn't say that. So you will be hated for the Messiah. The Messiah, is it too much to say that he's the set apart one of Israel? My own theology sends when I see that terminology sometimes there's only one that's set apart of all Israel. And it really, a lot of times it wasn't the people, but it seems to be this one servant is the set apart one of all of Israel. Yes, sister. I'm wondering if uh, that thorn in the flesh that Paul had had something to do with this. Um, kicking against the goads, perhaps he may have known the scriptures and understood that maybe Yahushua really was Messiah and just kicked against it. And then when he come, came to a place where he did know Yahushua as his savior and then realizing the amount of lives died that died at his hands, um, I wonder if that was something that was a little hard for him to bear. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't give you a direct answer, but I, I don't know. I don't know if the two are related, you know, because I, I, I honestly, I haven't really studied. It's been a long time, and I, I really, nothing comes to my mind when I had studied that. But, no, that would be interesting to see what he's uh, uh, talking about. But I do think there's references of that term in uh, the Tanakh. Uh, whether that is related or not, I don't know. But awesome. But no, I, I, and that's, I think you pointed out a thing. Now, we're th Paul's a human being. He saw what he was doing was wrong. He's come to that realization. Whether the text means that or not, doesn't some of the things we've done in the past weigh on us now? Mark. Yeah, I think an, in this example... Paul has, in his own mind, thinking that he's right, or maybe he knew what was going on and was rebelling against it. But anyway, he's he's basically fighting against God's, as you pointed out, his will. What God's plan is, what God has set forth, what God is doing, which he couldn't see, or maybe he did and is fighting against it, but he's going against God's design and plan. And by doing that, this is why I believe he's using this term. Uh, and Paul, now it gets in alignment with what God is saying, and God puts him on the path, says, look, I'm the one that you're fighting against. Just like the, what did the one guy say? He said, let's not, let's don't do anything, because if, if, we, if we come against these men, we could be coming against God. If it's not right, if it's not of God, it will fall away. Yes. But let's not come against what God is doing when Paul's coming against what God was doing. And it he had to get realigned. Yeah. Uh, Brother Paul. I'm not sure if this is <clears throat> tied into it at all, but in Galatians 6 and verse 11, <clears throat> it says, See with what big letters I have written you with my own hand. There have been some commentators that said that Paul's eyesight suffered ever since that uh, uh, vision on the way to Damascus. Hmm. So therefore, that was something that he still had problems with. And so he ended up having to write larger than usual um, 
because he couldn't see that well. I, I don't know if that's the thorn or not. No, no thank you, uh, uh, Paul. And that's interesting because then that would be a constant reminder. Not that I don't think you could ever forget some kind of thing like that, but maybe the deeperness uh, uh, of maybe a personal things like, yeah, my eyes aren't that great. That goes back to it. And I have to live with the consequences that have been given us. Because all of us, you know, I look back and, man, Father has, he has given me a lot of grace and a lot of things, but there are some things. I did this or did that, and those are consequences that are going to be on here on out, you know. And so, anyhow. So, for me, what I'm seeing here, Paul thought he was for Elohim till he came in contact with the Messiah. But rise up and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness both of what you saw and of those which I shall reveal to you, delivering you from the people and the Gentiles or nations to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. This is the purpose of Messiah saying, this is what you go do. From darkness to light, and the authority of Hasatan. It's interesting if you just, the authority of the accuser to Elohim. If you just put accuser there, all of a sudden it turns to not the guy with the horns, it turns to those who are accusing the set apart one, those who are joining themselves to the Messiah. It changes it a little bit there. In order for them to receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are set apart by belief in me. Yeshua says, believing, trusting in me and my message, who I am. And at this point, Paul knows this is the one who died and resurrected because he is talking to me right now. Trust in that message. And a couple of places you will find this idea of darkness to light to the nations, that wording. I'll just, I'll give you one. There's several of them, and there's a lot of it. You have to look at the context of what's going on, too. But Isaiah 42, 16. And I shall lead the blind by the way they did, uh, they have not known. In path they have not known. I lead them. I make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These matters I shall do for them and I shall and I shall not forsake them. For me, it sounds a lot like the very words of Messiah. It sounds a lot like the Messiah himself 
and even to the extent what was being shared to Paul from that vision and what Paul was doing. Yeah. Interesting that, I mean, we, all, we, we see so many times that the scriptures tell us what the light is. The light is the, is the Torah. It's, it's, it's the instructions. It's who Yeshua is. And he's to turn them from the darkness, from the kingdom of darkness to the marvelous light, from Hasatan to Elohim. This is kind of like reiterating the same thing, just a different way. So they'll receive forgiveness uh, from, from all of their trespasses and the inheritance. And so, yeah, and bring them into obedience, bring them into faith, obedience in me. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great shaking that yeah. Paul had. Thank you. I do want to finish 26 because I think we're listening to Paul speak here. Let's keep that in mind. So Paul goes, therefore, sovereign Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and in all the country of Udim, of Judah, and to the nations or the Gentiles, those who were joined at the synagogue but was not Jew, or the bigger picture as well, that they should repent and turn to Elohim and do works worthy of repentance. Do those things worthy of repentance, and you can only find that in what was given to Moses. That is why the Udim sees me in the set-apart place and tried to kill me because of this message, to turn to Elohim because of his Messiah. I was one of them. Man, they threw me under the bus so quick. Therefore, having obtained help from Elohim to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying nil and else than what the prophets and Moses said would come. So he's leaning on Moses and the prophets. That's a whole deeper thing there. Moses, what Moses wrote. Not what pastor wrote, what rabbi wrote. It's what Moses wrote and what the prophets wrote. Remember, I will raise up one you, one like you, Moses, like me. Oh, there's so much in that statement that Moses made. Now we see the Messiah. If we take the time. That the Messiah would suffer, would be the first to rise from the dead. He would proclaim light to the people and into the nations, the Gentiles, the nations. And while saying this, in his defense, Festus said, Whoa, remember, this is the guy, he's not religious at all. He's just, he just wants order, but he's in a Festus said to him with a loud voice, Paul, you've got to be out of your mind. You're mad. Much learning is turning you to this madness. Notice Agrippa didn't say anything because he knows some of it. This is completely foreign religious stuff to me. Festus, I would say, doesn't get it. But Saul said, I am not mad, most excellent Festus, but I speak words of truth. And sense reasonable, reasonable things I'm telling you. For the sovereign, before whom I also speak boldly, 
you, Sovereign Agrippa, knows these matters. For I am for I am persuaded that none of these are hidden from him. I don't I think you, Agrippa, you get it what I'm talking about. At least you're intrigued enough. For this has not been uh, uh, done in a corner. Meaning, this isn't something that's been hidden in the corner here. Sovereign Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? What a statement. You wouldn't ask that to someone who had, he didn't ask that to Felix because he knows Felix. He's, you know, you don't ask some guy on the street out of nowhere. Do you believe the prophets? What prophet? Muhammad? This, blah, 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 blah. What prophet? You, you, you know what I'm saying? Anyhow, Sovereign Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe them. Wow, that is crazy. And Agrippa said to Saul, Oh, Saul, with what you just said, with a little you might persuade me to become, I know your Bible say Christian, but if you switch it to the Hebrew and who it is, you might become a Messianite, a Messianic, a believer in the Messiah. Oh, I just thought of King Agrippa. He's like getting gripped here by this message, is he not? Is that not what I, I could be crazy, but it's like, oh, Agrippa said, Saul, with a little persuasion, you might make me or try to make me one of these. Is that what you're doing to me? Because he asked, is he catching himself? Oh, 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 wait. Under the anointed, the Mashiach, a Messiah, in this uh, under the anointed, under uh, the etymology that's here with Mashiach, Christo, Mashiach. Um, so in some ways, it could be, uh, if I'm understanding right here, are you trying to convince me to be under this anointed one, under this anointing going on from the God of Israel? What do you think? going on here and and Shaul said much or little I pray to Elohim that not only you but also all who hear me today that big all those people might become such as I am except for I want them to come become like me except for the change I got on right and having said this, the sovereign stood up as well as the governor and uh, Bernice and those sitting with him. And having withdrawn, they spoke to each other saying, this man is doing none at all deserving of death or chain. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. I'll leave it there. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. It's quite clear there's none like you. Father, we have, you have shown yourself again through your son, a redemption to repent, to return back to you and your ways. Father, help us in that, pro that process. Father, we rely on you. Please, we know you will help us. We know that you will direct us. Empower us with your spirit so we can overcome all things. We thank you for this opportunity to become your child again. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Online, Shabbat Shalom.